y'all. Welcome. This is Collapse Talk, and this is Gabriel Marrero, and I'm glad you could join me. Uh, this is a bit of a different time that I'm recording. Uh, it seems that I've made quite a big break, and I've been doing a lot of work with this show, and it's finally good to get some attention, though I, I wasn't expecting to get that much attention from that tweet. Yeah, like millions of people saw that, and I think I just started a bit of a meme, so like I wasn't expecting that at all. Um... Yeah, I really just reposted that, honestly. Like, it was, um, I saw that from Our Boring Dystopia. And, uh, I'll admit, I, I just, like, knee jerk reacted and posted it. Because, I mean, anybody who knows what's happening in Detroit knows that's a, a valid situation. So I just felt I would repost it. And, uh, yeah, from there it, it exploded. I, I don't even think it was from me saying that. Because, like, I've said all kinds of, like, things online on Twitter. Very inflammatory stuff. <laughs> um, but, I I think it had more to do with just because um, it was getting attention and then people, of course, making fun of it and saying that I doctored it or that it was reversed or, you know, I'm spreading misinformation or whatever. And then uh, it, probably the, the people who, you know, have to who have actually seen this, who have actually lived through this and seen this in their own communities, they were like, what? <laughs> like they, they, of course, like had to respond there. So, yeah, I kind of just like pulled the pin off a grenade. <laughs> But um, I'm glad at least we could, you know, talk about it at least. And, you know, some people saw it. Some uh, people who aren't really politically active were just like, whoa, is this real? And it's just like, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, although it's, it's just like, it's kind of disappointing that, like, we're having the conversation because I posted it and I'm nobody. I'm just a shit poster online. <laughs> like this, like anybody who, like, understands, like, what's happening would have said this and yeah. I don't know. And some people were just like saying like, oh, well, that's just Detroit, dude. Like, I don't know what you're, that's not America. And it's just like, bro, like Detroit used to be the industrial center of the, the country. And then look what's happened. How did you think it got there? So that's all I really have to say there. Yeah, but I'm just glad y'all can join me. And then, uh, you know, we could just start this program. Because again, I, I thought I was going to like kind of gradually grow an audience over time. And, you know, it would go from like a couple dozen to, you know, a couple hundred and then, you know, eventually, like, a, maybe a thousand, two thousand. But now I'm, like, uh, on Twitter, like, seven thousand followers. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm really glad because I've been doing a lot of work. And uh, I've been sacrificing a lot. And, like, this pandemic, like, has been a real fight for survival. And I've had to deal with all kinds of uh, doubters and people trying to, you know, gaslight me. And, you know, saying that, like, this isn't going to go anywhere. You're just going to scare people. And, it, you know, again, you know. This is the only thing that I got going. This is like the only thing that I'm good at, that I understand. And uh, I'm just going to do it because it like nobody else is doing it. So, yeah, <laughs> that's just that's just about it. So, um, you know, this summer should be uh, good because, you know, I do have a job. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like lamenting about it because I thought, you know, I was going to have to do like 40 hours straight for every week and, you know, just like burn myself out. But. Now that I have a big break with this program, I can start doing part-time work and, you know, actually focus on this and just, yeah, do the program, do the podcast, do videos and, yeah. Um, all I can say, you know, is just that, you know, I, all, I, all I would need is just y'all support. I have the Patreon and I do have sponsorships and so, you know, I'm releasing this episode publicly for now since I have a wider audience, but moving forward, I will be doing early releases on the Patreon, so... I'll be linking that on Twitter and uh, and such. So, 
yeah, I mean, you know, just a dollar, that's all I ask, because, again, you know, like, I'm in the trenches, bro, like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy out here, and, you know, it's, it's definitely, like, like, the bombs could drop tomorrow, and I could rest easy knowing that, like, I made some kind of breakthrough, so, that's all I ask, so, yeah, but anyway, you know, uh, just for those who are just starting to, you know, get with me in, in this program, just understand, like, what I'm about, because, the last two episodes, I've been focusing very heavily on the Ukraine crisis, and and so uh, that's not really how I do my program. I usually uh, divide it in different sections, and it covers uh, the U.S. you know situation, international geopolitics, and then also just the environment and natural uh, events. So that's um, what I'm going to do with this program today. Like actually, you know, focusing on the actual uh, program. So yeah, I just. Um, I just want to put that out there. Although, like, if some of y'all, you know, keep diving deeper into the program, it's very cringy. Like, um, like at certain at a certain point, I was kind of floating the idea of crypto, and um, <laughs> of course now, like, you know, seeing the markets, how things have fallen, like, you know, it's pretty foolish of me. And you know, I'm like the kind of person that, like, just because something is new, I don't want to immediately discredit it. But yeah, as I kept, you know, diving deeper into it and, you know, understanding it. I was just like, okay, like months ago, I like I liquidated everything months ago. So like nothing, I, I haven't lost anything with this crash. So yeah, yeah. And then also like uh, with this um, Ukraine war, like I kind of floated the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go abroad if they invade Finland or something. And, you know, that was um before I made my big break, you know, because I was just thinking like, okay, I'm just going to do this and nobody's going to see me and whatever. You know, I'm just a, I'm disillusioned, broke young guy with no bitches like i just want to die in the war <laughs> just just being straight up but uh but uh, hey you know at least now i have actual you know something that can work on um actual audience base and yeah i mean this is uh this is just the beginning i'm really looking forward to having y'all join me on this journey but as i was saying about the specific tweet that i put out it's just interesting like the different reactions and you know, of course, like, the people who don't know anything about this subject matter, they're just, like, showing their ass, like, just showing how incredibly racist they are, like, oh, well, this is just the homeowners that they didn't take care of their homes, and, and you know, it's funny, because, um, so I, you know, I, I reposted it from this guy, his name was uh, Christopher from the, from the UK, and so I, you know, I contacted him, asked him, like, where was the source, and, like, where was uh, the address, and so he gave it to me, and I went to the, um, to the Google Street View, so that I went to the houses. And here's the interesting thing. Based on the timeline, those houses were still occupied at least until 2013. So what does that mean? That means that they, those homeowners who were black, like they were just literally on the on the porch in the lawn, they were owning that home and they were working and they were maintaining the place through the 2008 uh, economic, you know, housing crisis where millions of people got foreclosed and evicted, like they they kept that together until at least 2013, and then like there's like a there's like a gap period. So from 2013 to 2018, there's nothing, and then in 2018 it's just like poof, just like falling apart. So I mean, yeah, and, and it's just so funny to me how people like honestly were trying to like twisted saying that it was reversed and i'm just like are you serious like the concrete is all cracked up and like the weeds are sprouting out like all the houses are busted out like there's garbage everywhere 
there's no like yeah no that's reversed <laughs> so hey man this is what we're dealing with okay like yeah so anyway so i'm just gonna go ahead and move forward you know because that that whole tweet like that was just i was not expecting that so i mean it was good to get the exposure um i'm usually the kind of guy that doesn't like attention but of course like i just said something pretty pretty uh controversial so i you know signed up for this um yeah and you know honestly i'm trying i'm gonna have to um because because i wanted to get into like uh video essays and documentaries and so i'm gonna have to make a whole response video just to this tweet since that's kind of like my big break and i can't just do like this little uh photo just specifically talking about the 2008 crisis like i have to talk about like uh just about the decline of manufacturing in general and like the attack on black middle class families and home and communities and because like this goes all the way to like with the world war ii boom and it, it, yeah there's a lot of unhist there's, there's a lot of history to unpack just from that single tweet that i made so it's something that i'm going to have to make i don't know how long it's going to do uh, how long it's going to take so you know if you want me to you know actually like get that out there i suggest supporting me on patreon and then because i mean again i have seven thousand followers so for one dollar seven thousand dollars that would help out <laughs> i'm just saying hey um so anyway so i'm gonna move forward um just talking about recent events uh especially considering you know domestic situation because it uh it really seems like we're reaching a tipping point like wow it, this is getting really bad and Primarily, I was going to focus and open up with the Roe v. Wade uh, scandal, but um, recent events in New York and Buffalo uh, were uh, pretty bad. Uh, there was a terrorist attack. That's what it was, a race terrorist attack, a white supremacist terrorist attack. And uh, this, um, this 4chan basement dweller you know, posted a manifesto on poll, and then he went and live streamed on Twitch. He went to a community that was primarily... Uh, you know, black or, you know, non-white community. And he went to, uh, he live streamed it. He went to a supermarket and then started shooting people just straight out the gate. And, uh, yeah. And then now we're here. So, you know, this is, um, just a pattern that we're going to keep seeing. This is going to keep getting worse and worse. And I, you know, again, you know, people are thinking that I'm the one who's being inflammatory, that I'm the one who's the danger because, I'm the one who advocates for arms, but I'm not the one running into supermarkets just to murder people. Like, come on, like, dude. And of course, like, this guy, he goes in, starts killing people, and then, you know, when the cops show up, he puts his weapons down and they take him in. And this is the same police force that, like, shoved that uh, elderly man and, like, busted his head open during the George Floyd riots. And they, like, they threatened to resign because they were holding them accountable to that. It's just, like... This is what we're dealing with, bro. So um, I'm gonna read from uh, the uh, from a local news station, the Buffalo news station, W WIVB, and uh, what they're uh, you know writing about. Uh, so quote: The U.S. Justice Department is investigating Saturday's mass shooting at a, a Buffalo supermarket as a hate crime and as an act of racially motivated violent extremism. The gunman was identified during his arrangement as Peyton S. Gendron of Conklin, New York. The name that matches the name given in a 180-page manifesto that surfaced online shortly after the attack and took credit for the violence in the name of white supremacy. 
law enforcement and government officials would not confirm the validity of the document in the immediate hours after the attack, yet the excruciating detail provided little doubt of its authenticity. A senior federal law enforcement official told the New York Times they believe Gendron posted the document, quote, there are certain pieces of evidence that we have ascertained in the course of this investigation that indicate some racial animosity, end quote. District Attorney John Flynn said, quote, I'm not going specifically to talk about or elaborate on what exactly they are right now, end quote. The document, which News 4 has reviewed, plotted the attack in grotesque detail. The writer plotted his actions down to the minute, included diagrams of his path through the store, and said he specifically targeted the Topps Market community, or Topps Market location, on Jefferson Avenue because of its zip code, uh, has the highest, highest percentage of black people close to where he lives. Quote, this is pure evil, Erie County Sheriff John Garcia said, quote, a straight-up racially motivated hate crime. Alexander Rosenberg, Deputy, Gen Deputy Regional Director for the Anti-Defamation League, says the organization is still sifting through the complete document, but it can already draw some conclusions. Quote, greatly anti-Semitic, greatly racist against people of color, white supremacists, radicalized in all ways we can think, end quote. Rosenberg told News 4, quote, 180 pages, I want to repeat, of this, end quote. Gendron live-streamed the attack on the social media platform Twitch and had the N-word written on his rifle. Videos from the scene showed he was charged with first-degree murder after killing 10 people and wounding three others. So, there is really no ambiguity here. I mean, like, this is what I mean about these alt-right nutjobs, like, or, like, not, not just the shooters, but the people who are trying to apologize for this or trying to, like, you know, whitewash it, pun intended. Um, and so... They're, they're just like, well, we don't really know what his motivations were or, you know, it's still kind of, you know, up to interpretation. The guy literally wrote the N-word on the rifle. Like, he did. And his manifesto directly quotes great replacement theory that people like Fox News love to spout off. This is what I mean, man. You know, and it's just so funny to me that when I say that this country is founded on white supremacy, that people still get shocked by that. Like, how, like... Oh, no, you you need to read a history book, bro. I'm studying history, bro. So, like, and, like, the fact that you're, you're still, like, you know, again, when you talk about white supremacy, everybody gets so flustered because they think you're saying white people. I'm not saying white people. It is so easy. Just don't be a racist. Like, it's it's easy. You know, these fucking nut jobs, they're so obsessed with, like, the drop-by-drop -drop analysis of, like, somebody's gene, DNA makeup, okay? Like, I'm primarily European descent, like, or at least, like, at least half of myself. So, but that still doesn't matter to them because to them, I'm still like a mongrel. So like, you know, I don't know why I, I have to like, like, I can't just like say, hey, like I feel threatened because these people are openly attacking us. And like, there was another mass shooting, a terrorist attack in El Paso where he targeted primarily uh, Hispanic uh, people and they took him alive, you know? And I told a friend this and he was a bit uncomfortable about what I said, but my point was that these idiots, these nutjobs, they think they're heroes. Even though what they're doing is like horrific and cowardly, they think they're heroes. And these idiots on these forums, they, they, they're just going to start, yeah, they're going to start applauding him like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is the, yeah, this is the Rittenhouse effect. This is, um, I, I'm sorry, dude. Like, I don't know what else to do. I mean, again, you know, because I, I talk about like getting arms, arming yourself and training and just protecting yourself. That's all I say. But yeah, man, like, what what do you think? Like, what, what, like, and then, like, the cops, like, are just, like, 
they they're kind of like on the fence or like at least like they're you know they don't necessarily advocate for white genocide or white replacement theory but they're still listening to the same people who are pushing that so like it, it's still like you know just being adjacent you know is is guilt enough so dude i i just i'm sorry man i i don't feel safe here I, li I live in Texas, bro. I'm in the belly of the beast, man. This is bad. Like, I I just, I don't, I, I need to get the fuck out of here, bro. If they're doing this, if this fucking idiot is doing this in New York, imagine what could happen in Texas. That's all I have to say. So, yeah, man. And then, like, Tulsa just happened, like, 100 years ago. Like, dude, we're, like, we're just about to reach the anniversary of it. Like, bro, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. But, you know, that's what I have to say about the, that uh, attack. And we're going to see... Uh, it's going to get worse like this is just it, this this white supremacist terrorism is going to get worse and of course the response to that would be oh gun control we have to take away the guns but of course they're going to keep funding the police and yeah so it's like take the guns from the civilians but then we're going to give the budget to the police who, who is going to be using those weapons and that force disproportionately against minorities so you see yeah i'm sorry bro like again you know because i don't have the options you know i'm one who i don't have the solutions i'm just somebody who like who, who recognizes the problems i'm just somebody who like advocates for community defense and mutual aid that's that's it that's all but again you know uh, we're gonna have this conversation you know it's gonna keep getting deeper and deeper and again there's gonna be another mass shooting and then another one and then another one yeah and then like you know this is just one guy, but like there's going to be a terrorist attack by these idiots and these nutjobs where there's going to be multiple gunmen. Like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So like, dude, this is not, I'm not joking. Like, bro. So anyway, um, and you know, not just because of this great replacement theory, like it, it's indicative of a greater trend with this white conservatism, this like fundamentalist evangelical conservatism, because it's not just the replacement theory but also just like you know uh, the ownership of this the patriarchal system especially of women because like there's a lot of links between white supremacy and like uh, the ownership of women and objectif objectification of women so and you know this is directly tied with roe v wade so you know of course we had that uh leak of the draft opinion from the supreme court so nothing is definitive just yet but Again, you know, it, just reading the uh, the draft opinion and from Alito um, and the way he's writing, it's just like this is again, you know, this is uh, this great replacement like virus, ideological virus seeping into our government, into government officials, because you hear certain Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other idiots out there like they're they're parroting off these same talking points. And yeah, man, Nalito, like he, he was talking about the, the domestic supply of infants. What the hell does that even mean? What is that? This is what I mean, man. These conservatives, they are completely inhuman. They don't, they, they view people as a resource. They do. I mean, he literally just characterized babies as a resource. So yeah. And then also he uh, directly cited Sir Matthew Hale. Sir Matthew Hale was a, um, a juror during the Salem witch trials, like he sentenced like women to death for witchcraft. 
And also, he was, uh, Sir Matthew Hale was an advocate for marital, for marital rape. So, yeah, that's what Alito is citing. And then also, um, this uh, political article, they also talk about just the language that Alito uses. So, again, you know, I'm just going to read the, the article real quick. Uh, quote, and this is from Alito, quote, uh, Roe expressed the feeling that the 14th Amendment was the provision that did the work, but its message seemed to be that the abortion right could be found somewhere in the Constitution and that specifying its exact location was not of paramount importance, end quote. Alito writes, Alito declares that one of the central tenets of Roe, the, quote, viability distinction between fetuses not capable of living outside the womb and of those which can, quote, makes no sense. In several passages, his doc he describes doctors and nurses who terminate pregnancies as, quote, abortionists. When Roberts voted with liberal jurists in 2020 to block a Louisiana law imposing heavier regulations on abortion clinics, his solo concurrence used the more neutral term, abortion providers. In contrast, Justice Clarence Thomas used the word, quote, abortionist 25 times in the solo dissent in the same case. Alito's use of the phrase, Egregiously wrong to describe Roe echoes language Mississippi Solicitor General Scott Stewart used in December in defending his state's ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancies. The phrase was also contained in an opinion Kavanaugh wrote as, a, as part of a 2020 ruling that jury convictions in criminal cases must be unanimous. In that option, Kavanaugh labeled two well-known Supreme Court decisions, quote, egregiously wrong when decided. Quote, end quote. Uh, the 1944 ruling upholding the detention of Japanese Americans during World War II, Korematsu v. Watt, United States, and the 1896 decision that blessed racial segregation under the rubric of, quote, separate but equal, end quote, Plessy v. Ferguson. Uh, the high court has never formally overturned Kurematsu, but did repudiate the decision in a 2018 ruling by Robert that upheld then-President Donald Trump's travel ban policy. So, yeah, they're just talking about the, the language that uh, Alito has used and how that's contrast to other uh, individuals. Because, again, like, it, it's pretty obvious cause that, that he's just trying to impart his ideological views. And he's just trying to, like, he has a conclusion and then he's trying to, like, find the, the route to get there. And that, you know, oh, because it's... it's a, he 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 literally just made this a states rights issue. He said that it needs to be uh, up to the elected representatives. It's just like, thanks, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, when he says abortionist, that's a that that type of language is uh, explicitly uh, biased. It's very obvious that he's writing that in a like he's he, in a negative sense. Like he's not saying this, you know, like as though he likes these people. Yeah, man, this is a problem. I mean, our, our courts are getting politicized now, and factionalism is tearing away the fabric of the social order. Yeah. And it was interesting, too, because, like, you know, these uh, the Republicans are just talking about, like, you know, they're, they're trying to say that, like, oh, no, we've changed our times, but, like, Roe v. Wade uh, had passed, right, yeah, um, in 1973, 72, with five Republican appointee uh, justices. So, like, you know, the fact that like they're they're trying to twist it around saying that like there these are changed times when like back in the day there were Republican justices who were also on board with this. It just shows how much they're losing this narrative. Yeah, they're just they're this is um this is not good. 
I mean, these are this is the same like uh, Supreme Court that like overturned the uh, the Civil Rights Act simply because they, they like the whole point of it was just like oh well yeah racism is done so we don't need this anymore that was their whole logic <laughs> it's just like well, what what's gonna happen now man I mean the Republicans have made it very clear uh, that they're gonna well they they made it clear they wanted to overturn Roe and they're gonna get that. And they've also made it very clear that they're gonna that they want to go for contraceptives, and then what happens next? They're gonna go for Loving v. Virginia. They're gonna go for Brown versus Education. They're they, they've made it very clear that they want to remove birthright citizenship. Like I I don't I like you know I know I say things and I know that they're scary to hear, but I'm not the one who's doing this. Okay. I'm just, I'm not, the, I have no power. I'm nobody. I'm a fucking shit poster, bro. And you're scared of me when these guys are the ones in control trying to like take us back to like the 1850s. What the hell, dude? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm sorry, dude. But like, th this is what they're doing. This is what their intentions are. They're spouting off this uh, great replacement white supremacist propaganda. It's, it's uh, stochastic terrorism. And then, like, whenever one of these nutjobs comes out and starts killing people, then they can say, oh, well, he has mental health issues, but they don't want to do anything to fix the mental health crisis that's occurring. You know, they, they act all concerned about, I want to cover the baby formula crisis. They act all concerned about that, but they don't want to do anything to improve material conditions for babies. Yeah, like George Carlin says, like, when you're, when you're pre-born, you're fine, but when you're born, you're fucked. Like, exactly. And then also... Okay, before, because, like, the, the, baby, the baby formula thing, I, I, like, this is bad. Like, this is going to get really bad. But I'm going to talk real quick about um, the conservative lawmakers, you know, with Roe v. Wade and how that is going to affect birth control. So, yeah. So, I'm reading from NBC News. So, uh, with trigger laws in 13 states poised to go into effect if the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade, a new era of restricted access to birth control could unfold in states that narrowly define when life begins, legal experts say. Quote, this is the new Jane Crow that we're about to enter, said Michelle Goodwin, a chancellor's professor of law at the University of California, Irvine, and the author of, quote, uh, Policing the Womb, Invisible Women, and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Quote, it is no longer a hypothetical, the reality is already here, Goodwin said pointing to states that are considering legislation to limit which kinds of birth control residents can acquire. It's no longer hypothetical. The reality is already here, end quote. Goodwin said, pointing to states that are considering legislation to limit which, birth, which kinds of birth controls residents can acquire, like Louisiana and Idaho. Some conservatives wasted no time signaling they were looking into restricting or banning certain types of emergency contraceptives, such as Plan B and other morning-after pills that can be used within 72 hours of intercourse to prevent pregnancy. A leading Republican state legislator in Idaho suggested last week that he would be open to holding hearings on banning emergency birth control, and Senator Marshall Blackburn of Tennessee recently denounced Griswold v. Connecticut the 1965 case that expanded access to contraceptives to unmarried people. In Louisiana, legislation would classify abortion as a homicide and define personhood as beginning from the moment of fertilization. Contraceptions and methods like Plan B, certain types of intraturin devices or IUDs, could be restricted under the bill, <clears throat> said Catherine Cohen, a scholar of law and policy at the UCLA Law Center. 
quote, anything that would prevent a fertilized egg from turning into a pregnancy and being born into a baby could be considered a homicide, end quote. She said, quote, if, if you define a pregnancy and you define a person as including just this fetus fertilized egg, then technically you are legislating that an IUD can cause an abortion, end quote. So, yeah, uh, these conservative freaks are uh, coming for us, dude. They are. And this is uh, this is just purely because, like, they don't want people having sex. Like, that's basically, like, you hear, like, uh, Stephen Crowder is just like, well, it's very simple. If you can't afford to have a baby, then don't engage in that activity. It's like, bro, you just don't want people to have sex, <laughs> you fucking incel. Jesus Christ. I'm, dude, I'm a virgin, and, like, this is fucking, like, like, loser shit, dude. What the hell, bro? Like, my God. It's just, like, th these people are freaks. I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't break bread with these people anymore. I really can't. I, I just, <sighs> I, 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 wow, man. Dude, what the fuck, man? Wow. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, man. This, this is just, like, <sighs> again, you know, we're, they're, they're trying to slide us back, bro. They're, they really are. I don't know what else to tell you. These people need to be stopped. That's all I have to say. Because this is just... I try to look at the best qualities in people. You know, even if I have disagreements or if I think they're you know a little, little kooky. You know, I try to see the best qualities in them. There's no redeeming qualities here. None whatsoever. Like, these are just inhuman. I'm sorry. But yeah... So they're 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 coming for women, they're coming for contraceptives because uh, sex is you know premarital sex is bad and you know it's crazy you know as I was saying you know this ties into the great replacement theory you know there's quote there's uh, some theories that I've read that this is a, there's a concern about declining birth rates and and such and so this is just an effort to you know maintain that birth rate you know and you know make sure that people are forced to have kids because the state needs soldiers and um, yeah. It's just crazy to me because, like, they would rather force, like, 12-year-olds or, like, teenagers who got raped by their father, they would rather force those kids to have a baby to maintain the population than to just, like, have immigration because that, like, that's really, like, the best way to maintain the population. Like, there's a lot of growth in this country to be made. Immigration would help out a lot. But, of course, because of demographic changes, oh, no, because of the Great Replacement Theory, oh, well, oh, we can't let these brown people in here because uh, it will change the culture. Yeah, that's what it is. So they, they don't want the immigration to come in to, to, you know, to actually, you know, make sure our population grows healthily. They want to uh, force rape victims to have their children. Yeah. And then, you know, also this is like it's no coincidence either that like uh, Tennessee just passed like a child marriage law like. Yeah, these people are, you know, dude, I'm sorry, bro. Like, it's just like, I, I, yeah, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't with this. But that's um, the birth control legislative field. That's going to become the next front line because it, it seems as though like uh, Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Like, because the, the decision is uh, left to the chief justice. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to. Uh, rule in favor. I don't know. Yeah, John Roberts uh, will ultimately vote, and he is a uh, he will join an already written opinion to draft his own, but it's unclear. So, yeah. Anyway, so I was talking about uh, 
the birth control, Roe v. Wade. And now I'm going to talk a bit about this uh, baby formula crisis because it's it's going to be bad. Uh, this winter could really, really be a horrifying situation for some parents, especially low-income working-class parents. So, yeah, man. And plus, like, this lockdown has had a lot of babies. Like, a lot of babies have been born. So, yeah, man. So, I'm reading from The Atlantic. Quote, America's baby formula shortage has gone from curious inconvenience to full-blown national crisis. In many states, including Texas and Tennessee, more than half of formula is sold out in, stock, in stores. Nationwide, 40% of formula is out of stock, a 20-fold increase since the first half of 2021. As parents have started to stockpile, formulas, stockpile formula, retailers such as Walgreens, CVS, and Target have all lim moved to limit purchases. The everything shortage isn't new, but rationing essentials for desperate parents? That's a twisted turn in the story of, America's, of American scarcity. Three factors are driving the U.S. baby formula shortage. Bacteria, a virus, and the trade policy. First, the bacteria. After the recent deaths of at least two infants from a rare infection, the FDA investigated Abbott, a major producer of infant formula, and discovered traces of the pathogen Cronobacter sakazaki in a Michigan plant. As a result, the FDA recalled several brands of the formula, and parents were advised not to buy or use some formula tied to the plant. Recalls are common. Thousands of drugs and products are recalled every year, and they don't create a meltdown at pharmacies or require CVS to instate Soviet-style rationing of essentials. So something else is going on here. And it's funny that they talk about Soviet-style rationing when, like, the Soviet Union would probably be on top of baby formula. <laughs> um, anyway, that brings us to the second case, the virus. The pandemic has snarled all sorts of supply chains, but I can't think of a market it's yanked around more than baby formula. Uh, quote, during the spring of 2020, formula sales rocketed upwards as people stockpiled formula just like they stockpiled toilet paper, end quote. Lyman Stone, the director of research at the consulting firm Demographic Intelligence, told me then as, quote, families worked through their stockpiles. Sales fell a lot. This oscillation made planning for production extremely difficult. It was complicated to get an idea of the actual market size. Meanwhile, Stone's research has found that an uptick in births in early 2020 has corresponded with a, quote, very dramatic decline in rates of breastfeeding among new mothers, which pushed up demand for formula once again. In brief, demand for formula surged as parents hoarded in 2020, then demand fell, leading suppliers to cut back production in 2021. And now, with more new mothers demanding more formula in 2022, orders are surging faster than supplies recovering. Finally, the third factor, America's regulatory and trade policy. And while that might not sound as interesting to most people as bacteria and viruses, it might be the most important part of the story. FDA regulation of formula is so stringent that most of the stuff that comes out of Europe is illegal to buy here due to technicalities like labeling requirements. Nevertheless, one study found that many European formulas meet the FDA nutritional guidelines and in some ways might be even better than American formula because the European Union bans certain types of sugars such as corn syrup and requires formulas to have a higher share of lactose. Some parents who don't care about the FDA's imprimatur try to circumvent regulations by ordering, ordering formula from Europe through third-party vendors, but U.S. Customs agents have been known to seize shipments at the border. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here because it's there's so many different things that have been like adding up 
and like all of a sudden everybody like how much you want to bet people were like what baby formula like they this is just like one of those things that like it, it seemed kind of obvious so like hey we should have good you know stockpiles of baby formula but of course like everything is based on market demand so they didn't do that and now we're here so yeah man this is and then yeah man the, this is just how like the fact that like there's corn syrup in the baby formula like they really like corn man <laughs> and they're just like you're gonna drink this corn you're gonna like it um yeah man this is just crazy yeah and it gets seized at the customs the the, the better formula gets seized because of technicalities but man you know uh there are there are many times where i'm just like really glad that i don't have kids that like that i don't have any baby mama drama no no nobody can say that i'm the one like nobody <laughs> so <laughs> i'm just like i'm like this like because like I, I love kids and like i want to be a father like that's something that i want i want to have family but things you see things, stuff like this and it's just depressing because it's just like i have to like give up basically like i guess my dream is like you know that's what i've always wanted in a family i have to give that up essentially because um, I live in a fucking apocalypse and uh, the state doesn't want to actually like address living conditions and so why am I gonna have children sorry <laughs> so yeah man this is uh, not good this is not good at all I feel I feel really bad for the new parents but um yeah man you know it, it just goes to show that like when these Republicans are coming out about like being pro-life they don't give a shit about this they don't care they're not gonna do anything to fix this you know they're they're getting on top of Joe Biden saying like oh look, how could you get to this point but then like you know they don't care they just don't care at all and then like Texas like the you know the ICE agencies and the the Customs and Border Patrol they were they they made a complaint saying how like I don't see how I have to feed these uh brown babies in these cages when we have our own children starving why do we have to it's just like they're, they they want to starve out those migrants. They want to kill those kids. Like this is a genocide that's happening uh, with you know the kids in the cages and such. And they're complaining because they can't go harder. <laughs> wow. Like this is why I need to get the fuck out of Texas, bro. I'm sorry. I, I was dragged here, and I hear keep hearing my family like, oh, but you have to stay. No, nah, bro. Y'all don't want to leave, and this place keeps getting worse, so I'm leaving. Bye. Once I get my degree, I'm out. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Yeah, man. So there's a lot There's a lot that's happening here, and uh, th this winter is going to get really bad, especially for, you know, people who are, you know, just having the newborn infants. Yeah, man. Dude, man, like, wow. And, th and that doesn't even, like, cover, like, like malnutrition and school children and working class communities. Like I was, um, cause I, I, I work at this uh, call center now and we, we call for like progressive causes. And so, uh, all over the country. So our group has been calling Houston and we've been calling about uh, HISD schools and trying to, uh, get them to remove the lead, uh, like up to 84% of the school, the schools have lead and other uh, chemicals in the water and the kids are drinking that. So, that's going to affect their development and their behavior. And like, I keep calling with these people and listen, you know, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm, I'm being like being misanthropic, but like a, a lot of these people are just like, they, they don't have a good education and 
they're 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 just like, huh? What you mean? I don't got any kids. It's just like okay, but like the kids are drinking lead. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm just like okay, you know what? You were probably drinking that same water too, so it kind of makes sense. But <laughs> it's just like, yeah, man, dude, this is just a, a terrible place to live. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, man, fucking kids. <laughs> anyway, so that's um. That's what I wanted to talk about there, and it's kind of crazy that, like, this uh, whole, like, baby formula, this whole Roe v. Wade, and then also this, like, terrorist attack that just happened is all tied with this white supremacist conspiracy theory of white genocide. Oh, the white people are being replaced. We're, we're going to be gone. It's like, it's like, okay, and, like, who cares? Like, all right, like that that race mixing that happens like whenever you have a diverse population over time they're going to turn to something new that's okay but because you guys are nut jobs and you know race realists like you guys are thinking america's falling apart cuz there's no more white people like what the hell are you talking about bro jesus christ like like let too long ago italians and irish weren't seen as white now they're white so like white is not even a real thing you're just they just made that up because we gotta, we gotta protect our, uh, our women, and, oh, like, that's, that's all it is, dude, like, it's just crazy, bro, so, that's why I wanted to touch up there, um, and also, before I wrap up this domestic, uh, uh segment, I'm going to also cover, uh, some, uh, anti-trans legislations that have been, uh, popping up over the country, um, because this is bad, like, this is the type of stuff that, like, uh, sees, like, like a fascist takeover like this is how it starts dude they, they attack the most like powerless vulnerable portions of our society and then they stay they move on to the next one and then the next one right first they came for the unionists first they came for the gays and nobody stood up for me but yeah so yeah so so i'm gonna read um from freedomforallamericans.org and this is their uh, legislative tracker uh for anti-transgender legislation legislation and um yeah, man, you know, I need to touch up on this more because, like, I like the LGBT subject matters. Like, I haven't really been covering that as much. I mean, I have, like, touched on it. But, like, this this needs to be more central because, for starters, I just need to be, be, need, need to be a better ally. But also, like, th- this is where the fascism starts. This is where the genocide starts, right? They, 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 they try to say it's about the children. Oh, we have to protect the children. They're grooming our kids. They, it's grooming to tell your children... Hey, like, I'm a gay person. This is my husband. We, we love each other. Hey, you know, if you feel the same way, it's okay. Like, that's grooming. So, <laughs> yeah, man, this is this is bad. Anyway, so uh, reading from Freedom for All Americans. Uh, during the 2020 legislati- legislative session, uh, dozens of states will consider legislation related to the LGBTQ discrimination. Uh, some bills will seek to advance the comprehensive non-discrimination laws that LGBTQ people so re- sorely need, while others will almost certainly attempt to single out and target LGBTQ people for unfair and unequal treatment. Freedom for All Americans is tracking each relevant bill in our 2022 legislative tracker in partnership with Equality Federation. So, yeah, they have like a whole like list of states that have passed different anti-trans laws. And the worst states are Iowa, Tennessee, and Arizona. In Tennessee specifically, they had they have it pretty bad. 
like some of y'all probably seen on Twitch or, or Twitch and Twitter, uh, there was this uh, streamer, I believe her name was Wynn, and she was, um, she had like a raid and the cops took her away because she's like a 16 year old girl, you know, trying to be her full self. Yeah, man, like it, this is crazy, bro. But then, you know, you see like Nazi kids and KKK kids, nothing ever happens to them because it's part of the plan. It, quite frankly, it, it's what it is. So I'm going to read the uh, the uh, some of the bills from Tennessee. So HB 474, uh, an act to amend Tennessee code and annotated Title 39 relative to sexual offenses. The bill summary, uh, as introduced, broadens the offense of indecent exposure when committed to masturbation or exposure to include victims who are 14 years old or younger. Okay, so this is just like some weird anti-masturbation law. I don't know how that's tied with trans people. Uh, let's see another one. Uh, as Okay, uh, HB 1177, as introduced, uh, specifies for the offense of observation without consent that a person has reasonable expectation of privacy from members of the opposite sex in a single-sex, multi-person, use bathroom, locker room, dressing room, yada, yada. So this is basically like like school lockers, you know, yeah, these 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 freaks they they also like uh, advocate for general examination. Oh no, because we have to look at your genitals. Yes, I have to look at your penis. <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay. Uh, HB two three one six as introduced prohibits male from males from participating in public higher higher education sports that are designed for females. Uh, creates a cause of action for violations that, that deprive a student of an athletic opportunity and that cause direct or indirect harm to a student at a middle school, high school, or post-secondary level. So that's uh, limiting trans girls from playing with other girls. HB, SB 2153, as introduced, prohibits males from participating. Okay, so that's kind of the same thing. So yeah, so that's basically where it's going at and it's mainly targeting like school children who may be like transgender or yeah it, that, that's basically what it's targeting at they are doing that one the don't say gay bill you know like you know firing teachers for you know educating about gender identity and sexual identity so yeah man you know this is how it starts you know this is a real like dial back and they're really starting to you know, make it worse and worse. I don't know, like, what they think is going to happen if they keep pushing this far. And Texas is certainly going to start going down this rabbit hole. And I think Texas will get worse. Like, it's probably going to be the worst. Because the thing with these, like, red conservative states, like, they have to go harder. So that way they can go to their voter base and say, hi, you see, I'm the one who's taking the fight. So, like, that it's all political. It's all political because their voter base are crazy. Primarily because the elites have slashed all kinds of like education and they, they, they want to keep their voter base uneducated they want to keep them as um ignorant quite frankly racist and yeah it's just yeah so that's uh, what i wanted to touch up on and this is certainly something that's going to keep getting worse but you know i, I always say this i say this to women um and i'm certainly going to extend this on to uh, the lgbtq community and of course this is something that they're already on top of, but I'm going to parrot it. Um, arm yourself. That's all I have to say. Just just arm yourself, train, and start networking. So that's all I'm going to say there. But yeah, man, this is bad. <laughs> this is just getting 
worse and worse, dude. So, yeah, that's America. We're we're sliding back, and uh, yeah, man, these conservatives are asking for trouble. That's all I'm saying. So, anyway, that's all I wanted to say about the domestic situation, domestic sphere. Um, things are certainly going to evolve and transpire. Yeah, man, this summer is going to be very interesting. We're, we're about to reach the anniversary of George George Floyd's death, so. Who knows what's going to happen moving forward. So anyway, the domestic uh, segment. And now I want to touch up on the international sphere. Uh, just you know, recent events that have been transpiring and how we're going to open up with uh, the Ukraine conflict. But first off, before I touch up on like just recent developments, I wanted to touch up on some rumors. That's all it is, rumors. That like I, I just read like, you know, I read this morning in my bed and I like I jumped out of bed just like, Okay, I got to record now. So it's being uh, rumored that currently there is a coup in Russia underway against Vladimir Putin. Now, of course, this is coming from Ukrainian intelligence, so it's certainly biased. But, you know, it, considering the situation on the ground in Russia, it's not good for them. Even though they are, like, taking the fight, uh, the situation isn't good. And also, there's just uh, been rumors about uh, Vladimir Putin's health. Uh, it's alleged that he has blood cancer. And I mean, like, just, just from looking at Putin, like, he's not looking good. Like, he looks a bit puffy in the face, and there's been videos of him, like, shaking a bit. Like, you know, I mean, this is the thing that we're going to start seeing now with these world leaders, because, like, they're dinosaurs, and they don't want to relinquish power. They're just going to they're gonna stay in power until they croak. And they're going to take the whole world with them because they are just, you know, deranged. I don't know what to tell you. Like, dude, if I'm like 70-something years old and I'm still in charge of a country, I'm going to be like, like upset. I would be upset at the younger generations. Like, hey, man, like, well, first off, I would have retired a long time ago. But if people kept saying, no, you got to keep going. Like, no, we need new blood. <laughs> like any wise ruler would understand that. But, of course, it's not about, you know, uh, ruling with you know, good intentions and actually like providing the best environment, the best conditions for your people. It's all about, you know, your little uh, mob, your little mafia, right? So anyway, so I'm going to read from Newsweek. And again, these are just rumors, so we don't know what's going to happen. You know, chances are by the time I actually upload this, like something major would happen. So yeah, so uh, quote, a top Ukrainian official has said that a coup to overthrow Russian President Vladimir Putin is underway and cannot be stopped. Major General Kirill Budinov told British broadcaster Sky News that if Russia lost the war in Ukraine, Putin would be removed and his country would collapse. Now, of course, there are citing Sky News, so that is not the most reliable source. But again, you know, I, this is just like, this is just what we're reading for now. Uh, quote, it will eventually lead to the change of leadership in, of the Russian Federation, Budinov told the outlet. This process has already been launched. When pressed on whether he believed a coup was already in train, he responded, yes, adding that, quote, they are moving in this way and it is impossible to stop it, end quote. In an interview that Sky broadcast, Budinov did not offer any evidence for a coup, while there were, has been speculation as to whether the poor performance of Russian forces in Ukraine could participate in Putin's removal. Experts have cast doubt on whether this is possible. Russia's Federal Protective Services, FSO, the main spy agency, the FSB, and the Nas National Guard 
serve to protect Putin. However, speculation is growing about Putin's health, with a number of reports of the last few weeks suggesting that he could be serious, seriously ill, potentially weakening his, his grip on power. In the Sky News interview, Budinov bolstered his, these rumors, the latest of which include an unnamed oligarch telling a magazine that Putin was very ill with blood cancer. Quote, we can confirm that Putin is in very bad uh, psychological and physical condition, and he is very sick, Budinov said. Quote, he is very sick, he has various illnesses at the same time, one of which is cancer. The Kremlin, which Newsweek has contacted for comment, has repeatedly said that Putin is in good health. However, the Russian leader's public appearances in which he has looked shaky, as well as his absence from a hockey match this week that he, us that he usually partakes in, uh, has added to the mystery over his condition. Budinov also said in the interview that he expected the war in Ukraine to end by the end of the year. With victory for Kiev's forces, he predicted that the breaking point in the conflict will take place in August. So, you know, it's all, it's all speculation for the moment. Like, we just have to see how things unfold. I'm just getting this out now because that's like a, you know, when somebody's saying there's a coup in Russia, that's a pretty serious situation. And considering how things are evolving, like, it seems a bit, you know, it, it seems plausible. That's all I'm saying. You know, because I don't think uh, some of the... I don't think these oligarchs, they don't, I don't think they like the direction things are going. Because let's be honest, right? Because, uh, I mean, it looks as though Russia is going to be completely isolated, isolated from the West. But those oligarchs want to do business in the West. I mean, they can do business with China all day, but they want to be in the West. They want to be in Europe. They want to be in uh, Monaco and, and, of course, in Sardinia and all like with their yachts and stuff. They, they want to be there. So, yeah, yeah. So, who knows, man? So, anyway... um. That's just speculation for the moment about the situation, and we're just going to have to see what happens. So I'm going to also start uh, reading about uh, just really about this offensive now that's occurring, because this is like the second phase. So, and I'm reading from the Institute for the Study of War. So they pulled back from Kiev, like that whole offensive, that attempt to encircle the city, that's just done for. And they've also pulled out, you know, from Kharkiv or, you know, the... They're trying to make moves there, but they're they're totally just realigning their whole strategy now. And they're focusing on the Donbass area, the Donbass region. And so they're pushing heavy there. Now, I saw um, a video and I, I posted on Twitter. Um, and it's legit trench warfare. And they're just in the, in the trench line. And there's artillery shells dropping in. It's apocalyptic, man. Like, wow, this is really, this is really apocalyptic. So, yeah, those Ukrainians are fighting hard and they're, they're in it, dude. It's 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 World War Three over there for them, so yeah. So just reading from the Institute from the Study of War, you know they have their assessment about uh, this new offensive, and uh, yeah, you know even now still in this stage, Russia is blundering and they're bl bl blundering pretty badly. So uh, just reading just from their key takeaways, um, they quote uh, that. The Ukrainian destruction of significant elements of a Russian motorized rifle brigade that tried to cross a pontoon bridge over the, the uh, Donetsk River on May 11 uh, has shocked prominent mil Russian mill bloggers. Those bloggers have begun commenting on the incompetence of Russian military to their hundreds of thousands of followers. Uh, the attempted river crossing showed a stunning lack of tactical sense as satellite images showed destroyed Russian vehicles tightly bunched up at both ends of the destroyed bridge, clearly allowing Ukrainian artillerymen to kill hundreds of, and destroy scores of vehicles with concentrated strikes. Yeah, and like the 
the images from that river crossing is just like wow it's just it's a pure blunder like dude like they they still not they're not learning they're they're not yeah it's just like that one ukrainian soldier he's just saying like we are very lucky that they're fucking idiots <laughs> wow and you know again you know i can't necessarily blame the the you know the conscripts and the guys that were just pushed out here out there it's it's the command it's their the officers they have no idea they don't know what they're doing they're just it's just completely lost i mean it makes sense because you know the russian military i guess now at this point it's just more about like favoritisms and it's just an extension of the mafia at this point like you know it's just crazy crazy to see what's happening but yeah man they're just like they're just completely like shooting themselves in the foot um and yeah and, and as they were saying like these are these russian stands these uh these mill bloggers now they're saying like okay something's up because it's pretty it's pretty obvious now that like the russians are not performing up to standard yeah what else um yeah russian forces continued operations to set conditions for the battle of several several uh from the south however, however advancing on the town of zolot Roughly 30 kilometers south of several Donetsk. Uh, Russian troops likely seek to secure the highway north of Zolot uh, to several Donetsk for the advance, for their advance, but they may also seek to cut the last highway linking several Donetsk with the rest of Ukraine via Bakhmut. They could try to strike northwest across the country from their current positions to cut the highway closer to Lysyshanks and several Donetsk. The Russians are extremely unlikely to be able to take Bakhmut, but they may be able to cut or render unusable the highway from Bakhmut to several Donetsk if they can advance far enough along either of those possible routes. So, yeah, you know, they're, yeah, it's just this whole eastern front now is uh, just turning into a grind, a meat grinder. It's just interesting to me that they still, the Russians, have still not made any moves to Zaporizhia. In fact, like, just from this map that I'm looking at, uh, their the Ukrainian forces are making small gains. So they're they're making small counteroffensives, trying to take back Kherson, and uh, in Kharkiv as well, they've made small gains. So they 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 they've effectively pushed uh, Russians out of artillery range. And yeah, there's just like heavy fighting around Luhansk in the Donetsk area, and that's where the Russians are making their efforts. But I've seen like diagrams that show that like they're because they're trying to encircle certain positions. And the encirclement just like keeps getting smaller, like the flanking moves. So like, they they can't they can't get through. Like they're 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 really like getting like pummeled the, the Russians. So yeah, because they're they're assaulting uh, heavily fortified trench lines and positions that you know, have been there since like you know 2014, since for eight years. So it's gonna be a, a bloodbath. It's gonna be a grinder. You know, again, you know, I I was talking in my earlier episode that the Ukrainians over there need to withdraw. Uh, to prevent an encirclement, but it does seem like they're putting up a stable fight. So, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, doing what they can. And again, you know, uh, I it, with this war, it's like, I want the Ukrainians to, you know, to resist. I support the resistance, but of course, the more that I've been uh, looking into this conflict and what is uh, what this government, this Ukrainian government's about... Yeah, there's um, there are a lot of ties to far right extremists and neo Nazis. There's, I mean, like, I, I thought it was initially just like a, a fringe group, a fringe militia, but no, there's deep ties. There's, 
the ties are like it, at a certain point is no longer a coincidence so you know on the one hand i want the ukrainians to resist and i want them to stand up against this russian invasion that does not mean that i support the government that does not mean that i'm going to be blind to whatever you know corruptions or scandals that occur with this uh this administration because yeah man just you know the i guess the honeymoon phase is kind of done you know and the reality starts setting in like okay this is you know it now i look at geopolitics and i just see bad guys versus bad guys that's all i see i i can't see any state power where i'm like you know what they're doing the right thing you know so yeah so they're um they're having their offensive in Luhansk and Donetsk. And then also there's uh, Mariupol, which is effectively like in Russian uh, hands. It's in under Russian control. But there's the uh, steel factory, the Azov steel, uh, steel, steel factory, where the remaining Azov forces are fighting. And uh, yeah, man, it's apocalyptic for them. It really is. This is like, it's like worse than Escape from Tarkov. It really is. Like, this is bad. This is like Metro and Escape from Tarkov. Yeah, man, it looks bad. Uh, I mean, like, those guys, I mean, they're, like, they're amputated and it's all dirty. And, yeah, man, it's it's bad. It's, dude. Like, I mean, after a certain point, like, you kind of have to give up. But then again, like, I think those soldiers know that they're all going to die. So, they're just going to fight. And, yeah. Again, you know, it's like, because I don't want to applaud them because these are the Azov guys, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to be taken prisoner either. And, of course, I'm not a Nazi, but it's just like I would not want to be taken prisoner by Russians. I would not. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a really, uh, really bad situation for them out there. Um, and we just have to keep following this, really. But it's just interesting to me how, like, Russia, they're basically just moving the goalposts. And then they also had uh, this uh, victory parade. So, like, that was basically just whipping up propaganda and national fervor. Uh, yeah, man, that was just that was just weird. But, I mean, the, the victory parade is more tied to the victory over, you know, for the, the Great Patriotic War, which, okay, great. Like, I get that. That's, you know, that's... You guys were fighting an existential conflict, so that's it makes sense that you want to honor that sacrifice. I get it. But, of course, given current uh, circumstances, they're tying it up with the the Ukraine conflict. <laughs> As though Ukraine is going to wipe out Russia. Um, it was funny, too. Even, like, uh, Putin, he, he laid down a wreath um, at a casket that had Kiev written on it. <laughs> it's so silly. Anyway, you know, that's that's um, what I can draw on for now because I haven't really been keeping too much uh, on, on top of this, uh, but, you know, with this whole new phase. Um, but yeah, that's just basically what's occurring with that. So that's the war, and we just have to see how things move from there. But I also wanted to touch up on other developments that don't include war. Um, so I wanted to touch up on uh, it's just other uh, developments that have occurred, uh, specifically with France. So they had their presidential election, and uh, Emmanuel Macron, he is uh, moving forward as president again, beating Le Pen. And uh, yeah, you know, that's good to see. You know, I'm not, you know, of course, not the biggest fan of Macron, but you know, you will take, I'll take that versus Le Pen. You know, she's a 
she kind of flirts with Nazism, and yeah, she's a bit. She's she's like the French Margaret Thatcher. That's the way I can think of it. So, yeah. So they uh, they won, or Macron he won, but um, there have also been uh, leftist movements and leftist candidates who also uh, got a pretty significant uh, voter base, um, and they have recently moved forward with um, a deal that the leftist parties. So it would be the uh, the Greens, the Communists. Uh, other other left-wing center-left wing uh, groups they formed a coalition a coalition faction for the parliament and which allows them to have at least 62 percent of the the council's uh, seats so yeah it's pretty interesting so i'm reading from france 24 uh so quote the national council for of the french socialist party ratified a coalition deal with three other left-wing parties early friday to run as a unified front in June's parliamentary elections, a large majority, 62% of the council members, voted in favor, but only after hours of sometimes tense debates. The debate over the proposal lasted four hours, with some major party figures condemning the alliance with the hard left La France Insoumise, uh, France Unbowed, the Greens, and the Communist Party for the parliamentary elections on June 12th and June 19th. In the end, 167 members voted in favor and 101 against with 24 abstentions. This is a clarifying vote, said party chief Olivier Faure, uh, adding that it shows that the Socialist Party belongs on the left and not on the side of President Emmanuel Macron. Other key party figures, including Lily Mayer, Martin Aubry, also backed the deal despite, quote, reservations over Europe, uh, end quote, specifically a proposal to disobey provisions of some European Union treaties. So yeah, they, um, they're just trying to form a government here, a coalition. And I said that it would be 62% of the councils, but that was, I was, that was talking about the left-wing parties. Um, actual parliamentary seats, uh, according to the list from the AFP, uh, would give the Socialist Party 70 of France's 577 parliamentary seats. So yeah, it would, uh, that would be a pretty significant step. But yeah and uh let's see what here uh former pre- uh, french president francois holland and his former prime minister bernard Cazeneuve were among those voicing the strongest oppositions with Cazeneuve going as far as quitting the party rather than joining forces with francis unbowed uh, jean-luc Mélenchon, a former socialist himself turned fierce antagonist of the party paris mayor and hidalgo the socialist candidate in this year's presidential election said that she did not want to get in the way of a deal that could help combat, quote, environmental and social regression, while nevertheless criticizing a program that she said, quote, does not include the necessary guarantees on NATO, Europe, or defending secularism, end quote. So yeah, man, it's, um, it's nice to see that there's some movement from the left, from a pretty significant power, France, uh, let's just hope, you know, they can pull through and actually, you know, you know, make it make an effect. It's just interesting how, like, I'm looking at the French election and it's just like, oh, how does their system work? Well, whoever wins the most votes wins. <laughs> Not like electoral colleges over here. But yeah, I would like to, I would like to visit, you know. I could just be in there and just be like, oh, je suis communiste. <laughs> just, yeah, man. Um yeah this is a this is an interesting development it's good for them you know that's like i guess the one source of good news we can think of for the left 
that they're making some movements there because we certainly need to do that here. Although I really don't think our electoral system will allow for a true like left-wing opposition. So this is why uh, you know I'm kind of leaning towards uh, you know unions forming their own national assembly. That's really what we should be doing. Should form our own national assembly. But of course, me saying that is a bit controversial. But you know I'm nobody, so not like anybody's going to follow my word. But yeah, I mean just looking at history and looking at other revolutions that have occurred, like the left and the workers have to form our own convention, our own assembly. But of course, that that's something that you know we can talk about, but we actually have to do it. So anyway, that's just what I have to say there. But that's France, and we'll have to keep a close eye on their election and just how things unfold. Um, also, other uh, places in the world, uh, such as Sri Lanka, have been experiencing certain developments. Recently, there's been riots and protests in Sri Lanka against uh, the government. They're currently in a pretty significant economic crisis, and just mainly due to mismanagement and corruption from this, um, it's like a political family, the Rajapaksa. So uh, I'm gonna read from uh, BBC just about what's been happening. Quote, there have been violent scenes in Sri Lanka with mobs targeting the homes of prominent political figures, including the, ru the ruling Rajapaksa family. Uh, the Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa uh, has resigned over the government's handling of the island nation's worst economic crisis since gaining independence from Britain in 1948. However, his brother is refusing to step down as president. Why have people taken to the streets? Protests over rising prices and shortages flared up in early April in the capital, Colombo, and have grown in size and spread across the country. People are furious because the cost of living has become unaffordable. And then they have this graph of they have this graph of uh, consumer prices, wheat flour and rice, and yeah, it, it, it's like it's mainly stable from 2020 all the way to like September 2021, and then it just starts jumping up. Yeah, man. So I went from uh, 100 100 rupees per kilogram uh, in September 2021, in March 2022, it's surpassed 150. So I'd say it's probably like 170 or so. And probably already, when people were eating uh, at 100 rupees, even then, they were probably still deprived. So, like, it just seems to get worse. So, yeah, uh, food prices started rising in late 2021, and people are now paying up to 30% more for food than a year ago. This has forced many people to skip meals. There have also been fuel shortages and power cuts, and lack of medicines has brought the health system to the verge of collapse. And... Um, and then they, they talk about this uh, Rajapaksa family and who they are. And uh, yeah, they've, uh, they've, have a, they've had a stronghold uh, with this uh, political system. So uh, protesters attempted to storm the prime minister's official residence while Mahinda Rajapaksa was inside and have attacked Rajapaksa's family uh, homes elsewhere in Sri Lanka. The family has played an a prominent role in Sri Lankan politics for years, occupying top positions in various administrations. Uh, Mahinda Rajapaksa was president during the country's long-running civil war, which ended with the defeat of the Tamil Tigers in 2009. Uh, his younger brother, Gotabaya, who served as defense minister at the time, is now Sri Lanka's president. Gotabaya has said that he has no intentions of quitting as president and last week declared a state of emergency. And then uh, they also go on to talk about 
this economic crisis and what the cause of it is. And it's just mainly like mismanagement. Yeah. Uh, why is there an economic crisis? Uh, Sri Lanka's problems come down to the fact that its foreign currency reserves have virtually run dry. The country is heavily reliant on imports, but can no longer afford to pay for staple foods and fuel. The government blames the COVID pandemic, which all but killed off Sri Lanka's tourist trade, one of the biggest foreign currency earners. It also says tourists were frightened off by a series of deadly bomb attacks on churches three years ago. However, many experts say economic mismanagement is to blame. Uh, at the end of its civil war in 2009, Sri Lanka chose to focus more on its domestic markets instead of selling to foreign ones, so income from exports remained low, while the bill for imports kept growing. Nowadays, Sri Lanka imports $3 billion more than it exports every year. The government also racked up huge debts with countries including China to fund what critics called unnecessary infrastructure projects. At the end of 2019, Sri Lanka had $7 billion in foreign currency reserves. Uh, however, by March 2020, its current its reserves had dwindled down to $1.93 billion. Uh, Finance Minister Ali Sabri, and that, that's in U.S. dollars. Uh, Finance Minister Ali Sabri recently said that the bulk of these reserves were not usable, leaving just $50 million at the country's disposal. Wow. And they also talk about just like tax cuts that have been made. They also talk about uh, they uh, they stopped like the import of fertilizer and to switch to organic fertilizer. And this led to crop failures. And that's going to make the supply, you know, worse and such. And yeah, man. Yeah, it's just mismanagement, corruption. And of course, now we're seeing it. And of course, the... Uh, the people in Sri Lanka, they have been explicitly making this like a uh, workers revolution. Like they're walking out with portraits of, you know, Marx and such. So, yeah, man, that's a pretty interesting situation that's happening. And Sri Lanka has always been a bit of a hot zone, especially with those Tamils. So, yeah, this is uh, just another development for them. So, anyway, so that's what I wanted to touch up on. And before I finish up, and before I finish up this uh, international segment, uh, I also wanted to speak on... Uh, just uh, recent developments in the Middle East concerning Israel and Palestine. You know, again, uh, Israel keeps acting up and showing the world what they're about, and people keep uh, looking the other way. I think now, like, it's getting to the point where, like, people know that Israel is, like, kind of out of control, but it's just like, you know, well, they're, they're, we're working with them because, you know, we're working with them because those Arabs. It's like, yeah, it's just... You know, you see that the rationality that people have about uh, certain things and they, they like to pretend as though they're about fairness and uh, treatment of others. But like at the end of the day, it's all about the power and the politics. And yeah, well, my side has to win, so I don't really have to have any convictions or morals. So, so I mean, what happened with Israel this time, because it's always there's always something happening, the, the IDF forces in Jenin... They were they were raiding a refugee camp in Jenin, killed a Palestinian American journalist for Al Jazeera. A uh, they they uh, they killed Shireen Abu Akli, and so yeah, man, you know this is just another development that's happened. And you know Shireen was uh, somebody who was pretty heavy on Israel's war crimes and their actions. So I wholeheartedly do believe that they targeted her and i mean let's be honest though 
because you see the video, the footages of her uh, before her death, she's clearly wearing a blue vest and a blue helmet with press marked on it, clearly, clear as day. And then also, uh, just from the autopsy that's come out, the uh, she was shot below her ear. And snipers know that that is like the perfect place to shoot somebody. That is like, that doesn't just happen from a stray bullet. You're going to tell like, like literally like right below her ear. And that that's, that's always the place that snipers shoot, especially when somebody's wearing a helmet. So yeah, uh, this, this was deliberate. This was an assassination full stop. And then now they're trying to find ways to, well, you see, cause there was an, uh, there was a clash and you know, so like the, before it was like, Oh no, it was the Palestinian fighters, and then like, oh no, in the clash, in the heat of the moment, we accidentally like they're the IDF, they're they're just they're they're gangsters and criminals. That's what they are. That's, that's full stop. Is what they are. Um, so reading from Al Jazeera, and you know, I'm reading about um, just the, uh, the her colleagues who were there with her and their testimony. They say that there was no confrontation or clash. They say that the IDF started shooting when they saw them. So. Uh, just reading from Al Jazeera, right? Uh, Al Samaudi and other journalists at the scene said there were no Palestinian fighters present when the journalists were shot, directly disputing an Israeli statement refer- referencing the possibility that it was Palestinian fighters. We were, quote, we were going to film the Israeli army operation and suddenly they shot us without asking us to leave or stopping or stop filming, said Al Samaudi. Uh, quote, the first bullet hit me and the second bullet hit Shireen. There was no Palestinian military resistance at all at the scene, end quote. Shatha Hanesha, a local journalist who was standing next to Abu Akli when she was shot, also told Al Jazeera that there had been no confrontation between Palestinian fighters and the Israeli army. She said the group of journalists had been directly targeted. Quote, we were four journalists who were all wearing vests, all wearing helmets, Hanesha said. Quote, the Israeli occupation army did not stop firing even after she collapsed. I couldn't even extend my arm to pull her because of the shots being fired. The army was adamant on shooting to kill. The details of Abu Akli's killing are still emerging, but video of the incident show that she was shot in the head, said Al Jazeera's Nida Ibrahim. Quote, what we know for now is that the Palestinian Health Ministry has announced her death. Shireen Abu Akli was covering the events unfolding in Janin, specifically an Israeli raid on the city, which is north of the occupied West Bank. When she was hit by a bullet in the head, Ibrahim said, speaking from the Palestinian city of Ramallah. So, yeah, they 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 shot her. They shot her dead, and then they they shot the people trying to pick her up. And like the journalists that were on the scene said, they started shooting immediately. Okay, yeah, this is so called the most professional military on the planet, but these guys they they shoot journalists on sight. Like, how how can you say, oh well, you know, it's the heat of the moment, and they they didn't see it. These journalists, they wear specifically blue vests so they can stand out and they still got shot. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, man, you know, and of course, America doesn't do anything about it. I mean, uh, like this wasn't on the front page of CNN, right? This is not something they're going to cover extensively. I mean, right now, rightfully, they're they're going to be he- heavy on this terrorist attack in Buffalo, but... Again, they never touched on the subject matter. They never showed those images of the Israeli soldiers beating down the pallbearers at her funeral. Like, you know, it, like regardless of what I'm saying and what my views are, like just uh, just watch the video, man. Like, and then you see this, and you you still have to rationalize 
well, you see, because these Palestinians, they're they're rowdy, and you know, they the soldier, these cops are on edge, and dude, like the 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 just wow, man, it's, it's straight up delusional. Like there's the type of comments and the type of rationality you see online, just like like the the video is right there. Okay, there's video of there's video of her getting shot. There's video of the sniper shooting the people trying to take her back. Okay, plus like whatever like this clash that we talk about in the West Bank, like most of those Palestinians are unarmed. Okay, so the, whatever clashes occur is always always the settlers with their IDF thugs got bodyguarding them, walking up to a Palestinian village or some kind of you know these people minding their business. Pushing them around, spitting at them, throwing rocks, and then whenever the Palestinians are like, hey, fuck off, the soldiers come in, shoot them, either shoot them or just like uh, tear gas them or, you know, like just beat them up. But of course, these are the good guys. These are, these are, oh no, because Israel is the victim. And of course, if you criticize Israel, that's an attack against all of Judaism. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are Jews who go to Israel pointing out how fucked up it is, how weird, uh, like, like you, you can hear all types of comments from Jews who have done the um, what's it called, the birthright trip, right? When they have to go, and it's always like some weird like matchmaking, like well, you see, because we have to procreate and we have to maintain. You see, it's like it's so weird, man. Like, <laughs> it's wow, man. Yeah. But anyway, so that's from Al Jazeera, and then I'm also gonna read Time magazine because they they're talking about. Just Israel's response to this and the way that they tried to cover this up because, like, this is what they always do whenever uh, one of their soldiers gets a little trigger happy. They have, like, this emergency conference and they have to, like, form, like, uh, they have to get their story straight, right? Uh, so reading from Time Magazine, right? Uh, when word got out Wednesday that esteemed Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akli was killed in the West Bank city of Jenin, where Israeli forces had been making military arrest raids, Israel convened its national PR staff to form a plan of action. It, deci it decided to circulate a video of a Palestinian gunman shooting indiscriminately from inside the Janine refugee camp and blame them for the Al Jazeera reporter's death. But its strategy fell flat when another video revealed that Abu Akli died nowhere near there. Abu Akli was a 51-year-old Catholic Palestinian who switched to journalism after studying to be an architect and became one of the Arab world's most prominent uh, TV journalists. Most nights for 25 years, her face lit up millions of TV screens as she shared the stories of Palestinian people living under Israeli military occupation. Arab girls and women looked up to her, and foreign journalists who reported from the Palestinian territories held her in high regard. Now Al Jazeera has accused Israel of, quote, assassinating her in cold blood, end quote. And Arab journalists from Washington to Tunisia to Syria are staging sit-ins. Uh, Qatar lit up a building with her image. Cartoons are circulating of Abu Akli holding a bleeding microphone with an M16 pointing at it, uh, the type of rifle used by Israeli soldiers. A few Arab parents have named their newborn daughter Shireen Abu Akli, has become a Palestinian symbol. To Israel, her death risks damage to essential relationships in the Arab world, while Abu Akli's U.S. citizenship brings relations with Washington into, into the equation. Uh, raising both the stakes and the level of scrutiny. The State Department declared, quote, the investigation must be immediate and thorough, and those responsible must be held accountable. Deny and deflect is Israel's usual strategy for dealing with high-profile civilian deaths. The deflection has come in three forms. 
Uh, one claiming Palestinians killed the civilian. Uh, often, Israel claims that the victim was near a site from which Palestinian gunmen were attacking Israelis and hence got killed by accidental Israeli gunfire. Uh, Israel has also claimed that the civilian was involved in an attack on Israeli soldiers or was a member of the Palestinian militant organization. In other cases, Israel said that the facts around the killing are unclear, but definitely not Israel's fault. In the case of the 2003 death of American pro-Palestinian activist Rachel Corey, who was run over by a military bulldozer, the Israeli army claimed a slab of concrete was likely what killed her. When Israeli missiles brought down an 11-story media building last year in Gaza, where Palestinian media networks and the Associated Press were located, Israel justified it by saying it was being used by Hamas. Back in 2006, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert initially apologized for the killings of seven members of the Galia family in Gaza by Israeli artillery, quote, the, but the military swiftly realized it was confronting another PR disaster to rival that of the killing of Mohammed al-Dura, end quote, wrote Guardian journalist Chris McGrell, referencing the wrenching footage of, Gaza, of the Gaza boy killed cowering beside his father during a 2000 fight, uh, firefight, quote, the army quickly convened the committee to investigate the deaths on the beach and almost as swiftly absolved itself of any responsibility. End quote. Uh, within a half hour of Abu Akli's killing, the Israeli state PR machine went to work on a deflection strategy. Israeli journalist Barak Ravid revealed in a Hebrew report on Wala website that, quote, there was an urgent consultation of the National Hasbara uh, headquarters together with representatives of the prime minister's office the foreign ministry, and the Israeli Defense Forces. They decided that the main goal was to try and fend off the narrative that was emerging in the, in the international media, according to which Abu Akli was killed by Israeli fire, end quote. So Israel used a short video that was filmed that morning by Palestinian militants in the residential area in which the men were heard saying that they had shot a soldier. Bennett posted the video and claimed that, since no Israeli soldier was injured in Janin that day, Footage which evidence that the militants had mistaken Abu Akli in her helmet and body armor for a combatant. And yeah, it just keeps going further and further. But they're they're just trying to twist it around. They they just Yeah, man, they yeah, this is <laughs> again, you know, they're thugs, they're gangsters, they're the you know, the I thought, you know, because they, they um they recently booted Netanyahu, so I was thinking, okay, well, they got a new guy in, Bennett, right? So maybe they'll make some changes. Nope, <laughs> it's the same shit. It's just to meet the new boss, same as the old boss. That's that's what it is. Um, yeah, man, uh, Israel is a bastard, man. <laughs> that's all That's all that has to be said. And um, yeah, I'm going to be harder on it, you know? And of course, and they even pointed out uh, she was a Catholic Palestinian. So she wasn't even a Muslim, but of course, you know, to these alt-right idiots, they don't care about that. They they love this shit. They love seeing, yeah. Like, I remember I um, I made a, a statement on a history subreddit, uh, saying that, uh, the occupation of the West Bank, is reminiscent to Lebensraum and Manifest Destiny, and in fact that Lebensraum was directly, uh, influenced by Manifest Destiny, as the, uh. Germans were colonizing Africa. And then, of course, they called me revisionist and pushing an agenda. And some guy's like, oh, well, you see, because, you know, uh, 
Lebensraum, that took over the course of a couple of years and that was, you know, heavily mechanized and automated and Manifest Destiny took over, you know, over at least a century or so. It's not exactly the same thing. Meanwhile, like, if you read, you know, accounts of Manifest Destiny and this, the settlement of the West, it was noted for being extremely industrious, for being uh, practically a steamroller. You know, of course, to some alt-right idiot, some Hoi 4 uh, tank enthusiast who, you know, doesn't, who always likes to cosplay and roleplay, you know, Nazi Germany, you know, oh, we just got to get the fuel and then we can win, right? Of course, to you, right, uh, Manifest Destiny is, it's not the same thing, but of course, but to, to the natives who are living there, who are being massacred and displaced, they just got steamrolled. Like, you, like, so... Again, you know, of course, they don't really care about that. They don't actually want to make that historical analysis. And that's not, you know, Manifest Destiny isn't the only thing that has influenced Nazi Germany, okay? And a lot of eugenics and all that, you know, Jim Crow segregation laws, like, that, they, they also directly influence Nazi Germany. And they are also directly ref, uh, influencing Israel in this apartheid system. So anyway, don't want to get too hung up on that. But, you know, this is only going to get worse and... Uh, Israel just keeps acting up, man. They, I don't know what, like, what do you think is going to happen, man? Like, the U.S. isn't going to be here forever. What do you think is going to happen to you guys when you keep acting like this? Bro. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's all I have to say on that. And, you know, we just got to, we, you know, we, we really got to make sure that people understand the sacrifice that she made. Because, you know, I didn't know who she was. Until they killed her. And it's like that Obi-Wan quote. If you strike me down, I will become uh, more powerful than you could ever imagine. <laughs> I, you know, I always make movie references in here. But it's, yeah, they turned her into a martyr, okay? Because of the work that she did. If they hadn't had killed her, she would have just been a normal. It, it, it would have been like, because, like, I mean, I didn't know who she was until she got killed. So, like, you know, she would have just been doing her work and that would that would have been that. I mean, most people weren't really following this to begin with, but now that she got killed and now that people are sharing this, I mean, I shared a video of the soldiers attacking the funeral procession, and then I had other friends of mine who aren't usually politically like active, and especially when it comes to something like Israel, also making comments about this. So the, the public opinion is changing. It really is. So we just got to keep pushing on it. So uh, that's the international field that uh, I'm discussing. And then... Uh, to finish up the program, I'll talk on um, uh, the natural world, environmental issues, uh, mainly just the UN uh, report that recently came out. You know, the IPC, the IPCC always comes out with a report, and every time it says "red alert, red alert," we are heading towards an apocalypse. So you know, again, people want to say that I'm peddling conspiracy theories. Meanwhile, the UN is saying. Um, we are going to die. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, yeah. Um, so, uh, reading from uh, Associated Press, the uh, deadly with extreme weather now, climate change is about to get so much worse. It is likely to make the world sicker, hungrier, poorer, gloomier, and way more dangerous in the next 18 years with an unavoidable increase in risks, a new United Nations uh, science report says. The IPCC report said Monday, if human-caused global warming isn't limited to just another couple tenths of a degree, 
an earth now struck regularly by deadly heat, fires, floods, and drought in future decades will degrade in 127 ways with some being, quote, potentially irreversible, end quote. Quote, the cumulative scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and planetary health, says the major report designed to guide world leaders in their effort to curb climate change. Delaying in delaying cuts in heat trapping carbon emissions and waiting on adapting waiting on adapting to warming impacts it warms, quote, will miss a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. End quote. Today's children, who may still be alive in the year twenty one hundred, are going to experience four times more climate extremes than they do now, even with only a few more, more tenths of a degree of warming over today's heat. But if temperatures increase nearly two more degrees Celsius, and that's uh, or 3.4 degrees Fahrenheit, they would feel five times the floods, storms, droughts, and heat waves, according to the collection of scientists at the IPCC. Uh, at least 3.3 billion people's daily lives are, quote, highly vulnerable to climate change, end quote, and 15 times more likely to die from extreme weather, the report says. Large numbers of people are being displaced by worsening weather extremes, and the world's poor are being hit by far the hardest, it says. More people are going to die each year from heat waves, diseases, extreme weather, air pollution, and starvation because of global warming, the report says. Just how many people die depends on how much heat-trapping gas from the burning of coal, oil, and natural gas gets spewed into the air, and how the world adapts to an ever-hotter world, scientists says. Quote, Climate change is killing people, said co-author Helen Adams of King's College London. Quote, yes, things are bad, but actually the, the future depends on us, not the climate. With every tenth of a degree of warming, many more people die from heat stress, heart and lung problems, from heat and air pollution, infectious diseases, illnesses from mosquitoes, and starvation, the, the authors say. The reports list mounting dangers to people, plants, animals, ecosystems, and economies, with people at risk in millions and billions and potential damages in the trillions of dollars. The report highlights people being displaced from homes, places becoming uninhabitable, the number of species dwindling, coral disappearing, ice shrinking, and a rising and increasingly oxygen-depleted and acidic oceans. Some of the risks can still be prevented or lessened with prompt action. Quote, Today's IPCC report is an atlas of human suffering and a damning indictment of failed climate leadership, end quote. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in a statement, quote, With fact upon fact, this report reveals how people and the planet are getting clobbered by climate change, end quote. Yeah, so, you know, again, like, you talk about climate change and, of course, normies, they don't like to hear about it, and they're just, oh, well, you're just killing my vibe, bro. Or, hey, you know, there's not really an issue for me. You know, it's, uh, my grandchildren are going to deal with this. I don't give a fuck about that. You know, <laughs> you know, this is what we're dealing with, man. This is what we're dealing with. And, you know, of course, the more you talk about it, the more problematic you are. Although, like, it doesn't matter whether or not these people believe it. They're going to live through it. Especially considering, you know, I live in a state that has experienced multiple disasters that, the, that our infrastructure was not prepared for. And yet people are just like, oh, you're just being hyperbolic. You're, you need to relax. You know, you, you're, you're always pessimistic and you're always stuck thinking about, you know, 
bad things, making people afraid. It's like, bro, you should have been afraid a long time ago. <laughs> like the fact that you're worried about me because I'm the one who's saying, hey, there's a dragon in the, the garage. Like that, that, yeah, that just speaks to, to how you're disconnected. When like you can read stuff like this, like everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm saying is so easy to research. But of course, nobody wants to do that. So yeah, anyway, so that's, um, that's from the AP. And then also, you know, uh, just considering the different uh, weather events that have been occurring, especially now that we're heading into the summer, which is going to cause wildfires. And in New Mexico, there have been, uh, you know, emergencies and uh, fires and evacuations. So uh, that's something to keep a close eye on. Um, so I'm reading from a, a local news source, local news source, KOB, uh, in Mora County, New Mexico. At the New Mexico Rural Summit at the Roundhouse, some are raising the alarm on a broken system for fire evacuees that's putting some people at a breaking point. Some evacuees are from one of the poorest areas in the entire country. One woman who is walking in their shoes says they are just not getting enough help. Susan Vigil volunteered to coordinate some of the evacuation efforts, but she is trying to juggle the needs of two dozen families that are getting bumped from one hotel to the other. Quote, we are not going to have any place to stay. I'm just going back tomorrow. You know, this is what's happening, said Vigil. Vigil says she is hearing from some of the 28 families that have been forced from their homes near Mora and who are now getting forced out of the OK Hotel just outside of Española. Vigil is now helping coordinate for some of the most impoverished evacuees en route to a different hotel in Albuquerque. We were treated like stepchildren. Uh, there was no Red Cross here. There was no resources available. She said, uh, she says the government has helped with paying for homes, but the need for medicine and money for gas has largely been filled by private donations from people in Española. All of this while her own family was forced from their home. Uh, eight brothers, quote, eight brothers and sisters and all of the families displaced from their homes. There's nowhere to go, she said, a vigil said. And the challenges for some are piling up, quote, I have not had the opportunity to grieve the loss of my sister during the whole crisis. You know, my sister didn't want to evacuate from Chacon. She didn't want to leave. She was under so much stress. She said her sister Liz collapsed around the time they were evacuated. They don't know how she died. Uh, they were forced to cremate her. We haven't had any services, nothing. There was no closure. There is, there is no end to this, Vigil said. Susan says one family told her this morning that there are not enough rooms at the Albuquerque Hotel that they were headed to. And she says that she called the governor's office and they said that should show up and then we'll figure out as it goes. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So this is what's going to happen, man. There's going to be more and more uh, crises, crises, environmental crises, and the government is not prepared for this. Uh, they're just not. <laughs> they're not going to be able to meet this uh, demand and uh, this change. But, um, yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, it's certainly interesting, you know, because I was kind of just in uh, Albuquerque not too long ago. And uh, Mora County is not too far off from Albuquerque. Yeah, it's uh, near Santa Fe. So I didn't I didn't go to Santa Fe. I went like I went to Albuquerque and then from Albuquerque, I went to uh, said Farmville or Aztec. Yeah, Farmington. There we go. Yeah, I went from Albuquerque to Farmington. I didn't go the San, Santa Fe route. But yeah, um, it sucks because, you know, uh, New Mexico has a nice uh, ecosystem environment. I'm not usually the biggest fan of desert uh, environments, but 
New Mexico has a nice mix of like forest and desert uh, scenes. So it's it's, it's an interesting uh, area. And yeah, this specifically this Mora County area is heavily forested and it's burning down. And so, yeah, this is just going to be a common trend now with the forest fires. I'm certainly trying to keep a close eye in my area because we, we had like a burn ban for a while and we had some rain. But I certainly feel like this summer is going to be very dry. Um, yeah, because it's very humid out here most of the time. But lately, it's been pretty dry. So I feel like that's just going to be uh, indicative of the weather this summer. Who knows? We could get flash flooding and hurricanes and yeah who knows all sorts of things can happen so that's just what's happening and we have to keep a close eye on that um yeah but that's um that's really just what i wanted to talk about for this episode um and i'm certainly glad for those who have been sticking with the show and you know especially the newcomers you know i'm glad that y'all are listening into this and you know hearing what i'm about um but yeah you know i just uh, I was, I'm just a guy who's recording and who's trying to get through school. In fact, like this semester, I had a very good semester despite my lack of attendance. My grades were very good. So yeah, I'm optimistic, you know, things are turning around. It, yeah, it always seems like when things are going good, something has to come up and then things fall apart again. So it's like, I don't want to get too complacent, too comfortable because like something's going to happen. I just know it. It always does. So I just have to stay on edge and on guard. But, you know, with this show and this program, you know, I'm glad at least that I made some kind of breakthrough and have a uh, have a bit of a larger audience base. And so, yeah, now I have, um, now I can really commit myself. But it, it the only way I can fully commit myself is through your support and through your help. So that's why I'm talking about the, the Patreon. Again, you know, uh, the, the $1 donation is like 48 hours uh, access to the podcast before public. And then um, there's the $5 tier. And that's what I plan to do with um, the video essay. So I plan to, you know, it's going to take a long time. I, I can't promise to do it like, like you know, because, you know, you have all these content creators and they have set schedules. I, I just, I have to focus on my life and do what I can there. And then... I can release when I can't release. You know, again, all I'm saying is the support would help. It would allow me to focus on this more full time. And then I can get that content out there um, and get y'all the information that you need. Um, especially, you know, because I would like to do a video uh, video essay. Like, a, you know, as I was saying, you know, it would be like a deep dive history, like documentary. I can do it. It's just, you know, it's just day-to-day life. That's the issue for me that I have to like... Uh, organized and yeah so um that's all i have to say there and uh, that's um that's where i'm gonna wrap up the episode again you know i'm just thankful for y'all for listening and you know i definitely want to uh build this program up to something something worthwhile you know like um like Sagar and jetty he he shared my tweet on his instagram page now he didn't reach out to me and no no nobody has reached out to me really I don't blame them. I understand that I'm a bit of a pariah. You know, I'm saying some pretty uh, controversial things, but hey, you know, we're reaching a tipping point and somebody's got to say it. So I'm saying it. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, thanks again. Uh, again, you know, you know, hang in there. You know, definitely do what you can to pass the time and, you know, just 
try to make the world a better place. You know, don't don't be a shitty person. Don't make the world shitty. That's all I have to say there. But yeah, um, appreciate y'all. Love y'all. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.